Hi everyone, this is Inside Dance with Taylor and Alex. Featuring your hosts, Taylor Bradley. And Alex Yankovic. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Inside Dance with Taylor and Alex. Thank you guys for your continued support for tuning in each week, or maybe this is your first time listening, in which case, welcome, and it's nice to meet you. <laughs> uh, Inside Dance is a podcast that is just that, all about the dance community, the entertainment community, um, and each week we'll be inviting on a different special guest to kind of pick their brain about um, dance and how it plays a role in their life and kind of where their journey in this crazy dance industry has taken them. We'll also discuss different aspects, highs and lows, good and bad of our community. Um, but in that comes our communication with you. We want to hear from you. So um, with our new branding and our new title for our podcast, we also have a new email. So if you have any questions, if there's any topics that you'd like for us to discuss, please, we want to hear from you. Our email is insidedancepodcast at gmail.com. So please feel free to reach out and say hello. But speaking of hellos, Alex, hello. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's the weather's starting to clear up here in Las Vegas. I think we joked last week about how like it's so lame to talk about weather, but I'm such like a plant. My mood is absolutely reflective of like the amount of sunlight that we get each day. So it's, I know I a lot like of- I feel like you don't like the rain. <laughs> I hate the rain. I'm literally, I'm such like a, but then again, the rain makes me like slow down and chill, which is good because we all know I'm like running at way too many miles <laughs> per hour at all times. But no, I know a lot of the country is dealing with all this crazy crazy snowstorms and whatnot. So I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to, to have some sunshine and get outdoors. But um, yeah, anyways, let's go ahead and dive into our community spotlight for the week. So uh, this week, we would like to highlight and bring attention to a foundation called the Audrey Lord Project. And this was actually a special request from our guest you're going to hear from later in our episode. But the Audrey Lord Project, created in 1994, is a lesbian, gay, bisexual, two-spirit, trans, and gender non-conforming people of color center for community organizing, focusing on the New York City area. Through mobilization, education, and capacity building, they work for community wellness and progressive social and economic justice. Committed to struggling across differences, they seek to responsibly reflect, represent, and serve the various communities. We are coming up on Valentine's Day here in just a couple days. So a national holiday about love, and I think this, this organization really truly represents that, this idea of love and acceptance. So the organization was named after Audre Lorde, who she was a black feminist, lesbian, poet, mother, and activist. Um, she was an absolute role model in love, in spreading love, and making sure that no matter who you are, where you're from, what you identify as, reminding people that they deserve that love, which I think is so important. And again, so fitting for the month of February. I love this so much as well. Audre Lorde is an incredible writer and poet. Um, I've had the pleasure of reading a lot of her work, but it makes sense that this project is created in her name and in her image because they are speaking out against injustices that people of color in the LGBTQ community experience. So I'm all for that. I love it so much. 
To learn more about the Audrey Lord Project, you can visit their website at alp.org. There you can learn about the different ways to get involved through their outreach programs, or you can donate to the organization directly. Plus, you can sign up for their email list to hear the latest ways to contribute, which I highly recommend. Signing up for the email list is the best way to stay on top of everything, stay in the know, and learn about all the ways uh, you can contribute to this amazing organization. So continuing on that theme of love and acceptance, I want to just have a discussion about that, a conversation about love in regards to dance and the arts and to artistry, because I feel like, especially now in this pandemic, right, we've all been deprived of that love. So um, Alex, was there like a time, obviously we're all very passionate about dance and the arts and performing, but do you have like an aha moment that you can think of in, in, in your career where it really went from a, I enjoy dancing to like, I absolutely love this feeling or that, that moment on stage. Was there anything like that that holds true for you? I definitely do. Uh, when I was younger, I actually couldn't stay in the room uh, for when I was dancing as like a three-year-old. I always got distracted and I don't think I was old enough or conscious enough at that point to be like, oh, I really like this. So it was just still something that my parents were like, we need to have some, something to do for her, which actually goes along really great for our interview later. But um, <laughs> yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't stay in the room. I was just so distracted. But as I got older, when I probably reached about nine years old, I started just becoming so obsessed. And the perfectionist in me really liked dance and how there were so many aspects to it where you have your costume and your look and doing your hair and that performance quality. And then once you, once you have that feeling, you're instantly connected. And when you make those connections in whatever you're doing in your life, you can't let go of it. If you have something that's that special to you, it's the first thing I think of when I wake up in the morning, which is really uh, probably not healthy, but (laughs) I feel like when I was nine years old, I realized I, really was good at it and it felt natural to me and always going following through with that natural connection to something is I think what love is based on you know you don't you might love certain things but you don't just like wake up be like I love that it's like you feel that pull and then whoa it wraps you in so I it was definitely a young age for me and you know I get upset with people who are like oh you're just a dancer like they kind of just like put a period at the end of that sentence Mm -hmm. and it's what this whole podcast is about. There's actually so many other aspects to it. There's so many ways as a non-dancer that dance is affected, has affected your life. It's the first language that people learn before people learn to speak. It's the only universal language, even if, you know, certain countries have different styles and they've created their own genres. It's still something we can understand. It's still feeling. And so, I mean, love in that regard as well. It's a super powerful thing. Um, but yeah, what about you? When was your kind of long-term relationship? Totally. No, and it's yeah. it's funny because, yeah, I definitely feel like I was dating a, like <laughs> as a nine-year-old that didn't have the attention span, kind of like you, for, for anything that like I, I would just, you know, try so many different things. But once dance, it like instantly as a kid, you're like, oh, this is like, I'm attracted to this. I'm drawn to this. And I'm drawn to the way that it makes me feel, which I think is so important, like you said, about in a relationship is you want it to bring the best out in you, but also push you and challenge you, right? So when you're dancing, when you're in the studio, when you're rehearsing, when you're performing, like you feel good, you feel great about yourself, but it also, there's this underlying, like I could be better. I could push myself. I could improve. I could grow. I could expand. And that really hit home for me, I think around 14. I remember like, 
you know, freshman year of high school, meet, like meeting with the guidance counselor and they're like, oh, well, what are you thinking about studying? Where do you want to go? All this. And I remember, I feel so grateful that I was like, dance. I want to dance. I definitely know. Like at that point, like I locked it in and was like, this is, this is what it's going to be. Um, but echoing what you said about um, the different aspects of dance. Like for me, I love, I'm a very athletic person and I love to, I love the physical release of dance and I love the juxtaposition of the artistry that comes with it. Right. It's not only, I feel like we're so lucky. There's that saying what that dancers are the athletes of God. Right. And I think that's so beautiful and true because not only is it a physical, how high can you leap? How how in tune with your physical body can you be to execute pirouettes or to lift someone in the air? But it's also, it's the counter to that, which is how in tune can you be to let go and completely like mm-hmm. almost, you know, I hate to say the term blackout, but it's like, yeah, when you're moving and you're on stage and you have that moment or when you're improving in a dark room, like honestly, that even too, that brought out so much self-love in me being a, you know, confused Mm -hmm. and and stressed out teenager in high school. um, I remember like improv class it it first, it's funny how improv when you're a little kid goes like, oh gosh, I'm so nervous. I don't know what to do for these next (laughs) days. And then suddenly you get to puberty and you're like, all I want to do is move my body and just like create. And it's such, for me, it provided such a safe place of self-love it provided love for me in my own body which i think is so Mm -hmm. necessary um for everyone but especially for teenagers right and so um that's why my heart you know pun intended my heart goes out to all these young dancers right now that that can't be in a dance studio and can't physically remove themselves from their home or their life and and be in a new space because i think that's equally Mm -hmm. as as important to the discovery to the dating process right of dance and artistry is taking yourself physically out of whatever circumstances that you're in so it's true and you know what i you know what i do love about uh dance in general is there are a lot of really great traditions and rules and guidelines that are a part of it uh for example with ballet class you know, the black leotard, pink tights, having that hair slicked back, uh, wearing earrings, wearing makeup. There's those certain things and aspects that I love about it. And I had a teacher once, I can't remember who it was because it was just like a quick kind of one-time class situation, but they said, you have to learn the rules to break the rules. Totally. And that's the aspects of it that I love. I love, let's, let's learn about the history of it. Let's learn how these things came to be and let's know what it feels like to follow these guidelines and how it's grown into this amazing and flourished into this amazing thing today where now we have everything on display. And I think it's so important to learn, learn those basics so you can break those basics. It's never needs to be one or the other. Mm -hmm. We can have both. And that's, that's truly what I love about dance. It does not get stale. Like I love to go to a ballet class and be, fully in my ballet skirt, but I also, and go to a jazz class and be so clean, looking really clean. And then I love to wear a large t-shirt and (laughs) do that. So I just love how it it just serves you in so many different ways. Absolutely. Yeah. And something that you said too, I want to touch back on was the most primal and 
natural form of communication is dance, right? Like you think back to before people could actually, before there was language, right? There was Mm -hmm. interaction with movement. Like I think about like, you know, when you get so excited, when you get that good news and all you can do is just like feel this energy bottled up inside of you and you have to move your body or it's like also, I mean, the not to be morbid, but it's also like that crippling feeling of if you get bad news or if, if you, if you are going through something and you feel it like physically takes your body down into a different mm-hmm. position. And so it's crazy. It's, it's crazy, but it's also beautiful that we as dancers get to be in tune with that because I feel like a lot of people mm-hmm. don't, and they don't have this, the, this 360 understanding of that our body is a vessel for emotions and whether we know it or not, we're carrying those emotions with us. And it's the ability to tap into it. Like you said, it's the ability to understand what your body's going through and acknowledge it, work with it, work against it and play with it. And that's, I feel like a full, a bigger picture understanding of human, of human emotional, (laughs) third time's a charm, (laughs) human emotional intelligence. Everything is such a journey. There's peaks and valleys. So maybe describe an experience where like it was soup dance wasn't the thing that brought you joy and it was like a heartbreaking moment. Totally. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I think it's like you said, the perfectionist mindset can be incredible and it can be your own worst enemy because mm-hmm dance (laughs) it's such a like everything i say there's such a counter argument to it right is there is such a physical perfection of yes your shoulders are down yes your ribs are closed yes like you are utilizing your body to pair with the law of physics to execute these things but at the same time dance is so subjective right and so Mm -hmm. i know like being in the competition world and growing up it's there's so many things that it doesn't matter and almost nine times out of 10, the physically perfect, the technicians, yeah, they're beautiful to look at, but that can only get you so far. Right. And I know we've talked about this in the past about that human, that raw emotional connection. Um, and I felt like that was a very frustrating thing for, for me to find and find that balance. Cause again, I'm such a, I, I, I feel like I have that athletic, I want to jump higher. I want to turn more. I want to, you know, physically achieve things that that almost was easier for me than the understanding of like, it's more than that sometimes. And sometimes it's less than that. Um, yes. But if you talk about, I mean, aside from just that frustration, and, and that, I think that's something every young dancer, every dancer always goes through, right? Is, I mean, it can be something as simple as like a competition routine. It's like, do you have enough tricks in your routine? And, so, and <laughs> it's some uh, some avenues, some stages that is necessary. You know, you talk about dance team. It's like, they literally have to have X, Y, and Z in their routine. But then beyond that, it's kind of a gray scale and there is no right or wrong answer. So I found myself getting very frustrated with that of like, okay, what is in the competition world? I was like, what is the formula? (laughs) When in reality, there is no formula because the formula is different for each person, but on a more specific, um, like example from my dance career. I remember when, you know, 14 year old Taylor was like, okay, I'm going to dance. I'm going to, I'm going to go to school for dance. Um, I had listed out all my places. I want to wanted to audition, um, university of Arizona, point park, NYU. But first on that list was Juilliard, right? I mean, obviously it's the rep, it's reputation precedes itself as being such an iconic conservatory and hub for the arts. So I remember it was my first audition and uh, my dad, we flew out to Dallas, Houston, 
I'm going to go with Texas. We went to Texas and um, <laughs> I, I was putting so much pressure on myself because again, I, I, I wanted that. I wanted to get the report card that said, yes, you did it. Or you got the acceptance letter or you got on paper, you know, all A's. But I remember I showed up and I did not have much of a ballet background. So I'm like, you know, throwing on black tights and like already feeling self-conscious and uncomfortable, but like, whatever, come on, we're here. It's going to be fine. This is what we're going to do. And like, I don't even think I slept for more than like 20 minutes the night before. And so I had all this pressure built up on me. I walk in the door and within 10 minutes I got typecasted. And I remember I felt like such a failure. I felt like so ashamed because in my head I was like, you know, had set my aspirations so high Mm. that I didn't even get the opportunity to dance, which is also unfortunately such a common practice in the, especially the commercial world, you know, film and television, or even that's, it it extends into concert dance and shows where Mm. there's a certain costume that you have to fit into, or we need this many redheads and this many brunettes. And so, um, as unfortunate as it was, you know, just like, again, in a relationship, circling back to that analogy, it builds a thick skin, right? And we have mm-hmm. to, we have to have big hearts with thick skin to, to get through life, both on a personal level and in this career. And so I remember feeling so down and so frustrated, but I went back home and after, you know, a few days of, of, of being upset, you know, you processed, I remember my fire was lit so bright because it was like, okay, we're not going to let this get us down. This isn't my identity. You know, this is one hiccup along the way, but that's, it's a hard pill to swallow when you're 17 and you're trying to make the right choice to navigate the rest of your dance education and then onto your career. So it was a tough, a tough time to learn a tough situation to learn, but I'm so grateful for it. Um, and to where it's brought me today. So what about yourself? Is there any like any real tough times or any defeats that you've had to get back up from and move forward? Well, first of all, I love what you said about have a big heart, but thick skin. That is such, such great words to live by. (laughs) Taylor Bradley. (laughs) Quote me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's interesting. You brought up, you know, that end of high school uh, pre-college journey because I had a similar situation. Um, where, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. If I hadn't gone to University of Arizona, like my life would be so different. Like U of A changed my life for the better. It was such an incredible experience. And I, I'm so thankful for that. So it's easier for me to talk on these experiences now. Right. After, ha- after having, you know, such a positive experience. Uh, but I was auditioning for schools and I actually was doing half auditioning for dance departments and half doing musical theater. So uh, musical musical theater, I had been taking singing lessons for a really long time. Um, I had done UCLA's like performing arts acting camp. It was all musical theater. Like I had done all these things. So I had auditioned for Penn State. And I think I forget which other school for musical theater and neither, neither of them accepted me in the program. I would love to have us interview someone who knows better, but the singing is going to matter a lot more than the dancing. They would rather have a pretty good dancer with amazing vocal skills than a really great dancer with like subpar music skills. Like I, I feel like just back in 2011, 2010, that was just how it was. Like I could just tell like, they could sing and like, it'd be amazing. Whereas I'm a very basic 
singer, like very ensemble uh, in the back type of singer. Like <laughs> even though I had the training, I still have, you know, I have the over 10,000 hours training of dance. I don't have the over 10,000 hours of singing. And so totally. that was a bummer. That was a bummer because all of the schools I auditioned for, for dance department wise, had open arms like i've never like when i auditioned uh at jazz showcase at u of a it was like and that was early in like the application process um so i just felt like i had already picked school because i loved the teachers it felt like the right fit right at the time and they were just like yes we'd love to have you and like you go audition for these musical theater programs thinking like and i was obviously so nervous and like you have to do a monologue as well like it's that extra thing and it's like we don't want you <laughs> not yeah. yet and no. so it's, it's rough. It's rough to come to that realization. But I, I just think my life took me in the direction it was supposed to. So I can't even be upset about it. But again, I say it all the time. Hindsight is twenty twenty. Everything seems not that bad once you're out of it. <laughs> Totally, but it's like detrimental at that time. But I have to give you props too, because even like it's it's easy to do things that you're good at and you're comfortable at, right? And so it's right. easy to to be, you know, confident as a dancer, to be, you know, more proficient at your studio, to win competitions and then go to a dance audition. But wow, it takes that thick skin to walk into a musical theater audition and you know, walk up to a piano and it, you know, have a book. Yes. I'm, I'm speaking from experience here. And, and I remember, it's funny, something I, I just sent you, our Muni audition came up in Time Hop, which um, Alex and I auditioned for the Muni, um, which is an equity theater in St. Louis um, that does like amazing summer stock shows. But that was an example, even after college, where we were both like, we'd been training um, with a, a voice coach and how basically how to audition as a dancer in a musical theater program. Um, because I, all I had ever known was, okay, you, you show up in your audition outfit, you get a number and then we go across the floor and we do a ballet cut. So it's like, it's just a very different etiquette. Um, but even then I remember being so nervous, but it, it takes that, that thick skin and that self love to be like, you know what, I'm going to put myself out there and you're not, it's, it's, you're going to trip, you're going to stumble, you're going to fall and you're going to figure it out. Even I can relate. I remember I did my first round of, uh, during audition season in New York, I just took my senior year, January before school went back. I went back and mm -hmm. had backstage and went to every single open call that I could. And I remember I learned right. real quick about, you know, unions and equity and signing up and all that, but it was very much a crash and burn process. And so mm -hmm. to anyone out there that's listening that maybe is thinking about auditioning or, you know, obviously when things kind of return back to more of a normal state, um, go for it. What do you have to lose, right? Find that self-love, find that love, that deep relationship that you have for dance and that it's supported you and it's pushed you. Now take that with you and go and try. Cause if you don't know, if you don't try, you're never going to know, right? It's so true. Uh, you miss you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Totally. Wayne Gretzky slash also Michael Scott. Um, <laughs> I, I also do want to add that I think with you and I and a lot of other people we know, uh, people don't think that rejection is a part of the process or are, is a pro part of our process. And I just have to say, I've gotten a lot of no's. I just don't focus on the no's. You and you can't. Yeah. That's the only only way that I feel we've you just have to keep moving forward. We always go back to that saying, but yeah, for anyone out there, do not think that people who have been 
successful in whatever way success means to you, they have gotten so many no's before they've gotten that yes. And it's okay. They might not, it's not a highlight reel on your Instagram. No one wants to be like, I got rejected. (laughs) I got a no. And I'm going to- Can we start that? The reject reel? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Goals. That's such a good idea. But yeah, so everybody, (laughs) like, no's are a part of the process welcome to our ted talk yeah seriously and wow we 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 really you know sunk our teeth into that that full analogy of of of, of dating dance but anyway no alex you're so right thank you for your insight um i'm so excited to welcome our special guest for this week she is absolutely an embodiment of love of dance of life of passion so stay tuned i can't wait for you to meet her All right, guys, next up, we are so, so excited to welcome our very special guest this week. Uh, This guest and I go way back to competition days in beautiful Roswell in Duluth, Georgia. Um, She is a stunning dancer with a resume that boasts Royal Caribbean, uh, the Moulin Rouge in Paris, and also zombie burlesque here in lovely Las Vegas. She is one tall, gorgeous sip of water, and I'm so thrilled to have her here. Guys, please welcome to our podcast my dear friend, Chloe Vashaw. Hey, everybody. Yeah. How's it going, Chloe? Going. We're here. We're in a pandemic still, but we're here. <laughs> yeah. Welcome. We are so excited to be talking with you. You're just like, even just hopping on this Zoom right now, I'm like, oh my God, I'm so excited. I feel her energy she's great yeah she two things well first of all our listeners can't tell but chloe is actually in my house in my kitchen uh my cat is sitting right next to her i think they're good friends but she's our first in-person interview so it's like fun and exciting for me to have a real person and not just another computer screen to look at so but on top of that um chloe is one of the single funniest humans i know on this earth like there's few people that their brains go as like warp speed fast as I do with quickness and Chloe is one of them. So I'm excited for, for what's, what's about to be said and heard and shared. And um, so let's get right down into it. So Chloe, um, start us off. I mean, obviously, spoiler alert, I, I gave it away from Georgia, but um, from Georgia like myself, but um, a brief history on your training, how you got into dance and how that led you into your professional career. Stunning. Well, I grew up in South Georgia. Literally, the counties were Coffee and Cook, which are both things that I love to do, like Coffee County and Cook County. <laughs> oh my gosh. I... Cook County Jail, is that not from the Chicago? Oh, I... Mm. No, no, no. It's not Cook County. I uh, think Cook County... No. I'm Googling it as we do Please this. Please do. But because... there is also a Butts County. Yeah, Georgia. I want... I need a... Okay, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, <laughs> it's like all down there where like people don't know what they are and what they're doing. Um, no, that's... <laughs> Life. Everyone's great. <laughs> Everyone listening from Georgia right now just turned off the podcast. <laughs> you can totally strip that. <laughs> so yes, I grew up in Coffee County, South Georgia. It was one of those things where my parents were like, hey, our daughter is crazy. What can we do to get her out of the house? So they threw me into dance, you know, as every three-year-old usually does, dance mm-hmm. or gymnastics. Um, I was already too tall to do gymnastics, so. Same, that's yeah. my exact same story. Really? Yeah, too much energy. And they were like, well, your son is five <laughs> foot five at age seven, so maybe not. Exactly, and I also tried soccer, and I remember one game, this is totally going off track, but my dad and mom came to watch, and instead of playing the actual soccer game, I was out chasing butterflies and sitting in the middle 
middle of the grass. So dance definitely helped me learn, you know, just discipline. Yeah, basically. So yeah, grew up in South Georgia. When I was 10, I moved to the Atlanta area and that's when I started competing. And um, my teachers, I was at Dance Arts Center Performing Arts Company with uh, Jeff Boss and Jamie Wardrop were my studio directors. I was 10 years old and honestly should have probably started in rec. Like not (laughs) even many company guys. I was that girl who like was turning the other way, but it was only like a half turn. Like I couldn't even get around. I couldn't do it inside PK. Um, Yeah, it was one of those things. And he threw me into teen class. So I started hard and strong as a 10 year old in teen because I was tall for my age. So I think he thought I was older, which Mm -hmm. So yeah, I did that and you know, from 10 until high school and just competition was mainly the thing. We did some conventions towards the end because we were super just, you know, competition, technical, mm-hmm. old school lyrical. Like we didn't really go out and do any other crazy things until I was older, which was great. But that was pretty much what my, you know, training was. I can totally relate to two of those things with soccer. I was in soccer from like age five to age five. And <laughs> I, I love that. Like was on the, our team was the razzle dazzles and our jerseys were pink and purple. So I was like, it's fine. Like I can stick with it for the pink and the purple. But I was doing, I was doing cartwheels in the goalie section because the goalie got to wear a different type of jersey. It was like long sleeve and it was like cuter than the rest of the team. So I was like, anything to be a goalie, anything to do cartwheels. And like everybody, the other team was just like scoring and scoring. And they're like, Alex, like this is the worst. But also when you have a lot of energy as a child, when I have kids, if they have a ton of energy, I'm throwing them a dance. Cause you need something to exhaust them to a normal person level. It's yes. not even to exhaust them so that they're tired. It's to exhaust them so that you can deal. Like we are all now you're up here. Now we can all deal at the same level. Cause like you've been dancing all day. So thank you. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I think that's what my parents did for sure. Totally circling back um, upon Googling the lyrics, which I should know by heart. It was cook County jail. So props to you, Alex, for your musical theater history fact of the day. Snap. Alex. Um, I, I feel like I feel like that uh, the man who I am so sad that I cannot uh, pick up his name right now, but that man who sings that portion in the motion picture album, I feel like he also is the West Coast School of the Arts showstopper. Absolutely, he's the sa- he's the announcer for Showstoppers oh Dance Competition. That it's was the same Adina, guy. I'm pretty sure. Adina Menzel's ex-husband, uh, Ty uh, Ty Ty Diggs. Ty Diggs. Oh my oh, god. Oh, and in the movie. In I'm the like, movie. that announced the dance competition. Not I wish. <laughs> in the motion picture, right? That's Tay Diggs who's like on the Yes, piano. yes, yes. Totally, it's totally. Just... Okay, so if you were getting thrown into dance, did you honestly have any other hobbies that you enjoyed, like besides dancing? Absolutely not. Like, <laughs> honestly, I was like, I, I was like in high school and stuff and middle school and stuff. Like, it was always weird. My mom and dad were both teachers for my middle school and high school. Wow. So I, you know, got along with everyone because luckily they were, they were cool. They were the cool they teachers. They were the cool teachers. <laughs> but like, yeah, I would, you know, see all the kids and like go to proms and do that stuff. But like any sort of, you know, football games, baseball games, I wouldn't go to because I was in dance. So like, right. I, I honestly, without dance, I do not know what I would do today. I don't know what I would be doing. 100%. I'm the same way. my parents, yeah. I... Don't you all, like, I always feel like, like, when people are like, how did you get into dance? I'm like, I don't know my life other than dance, which is so, like, cliche, but, like, I feel so grateful that we never had that, like, um, 
uh, freshman year crisis of I'm going to do general studies and I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. And then you're, it's your junior year of college and you're like, I hate this, this major. And like, even I remember in high school, people would be like, what school am I going to go to? And I'm like, well, one that has a dance program. Like it was non-negotiable. And I'm so grateful for that right. because it, I feel like my path to dance was so clear. And let's not even get started on how once you have that decision, then the path in the dance career mm-hmm. is like, what's that game where like the ball comes down and you have, it's like jagged and, Anyway, I don't know. Terrible analogy, Taylor. No, uh, pinball. Pin- oh, I'm so <laughs> I not what I was thinking it- of, but it'll work. <laughs> Great. I almost said ping ball, but I had to say pinball. You ping know what's ball. funny about that, though? I find when you become a professional and you start booking uh, professional dance jobs, you they obviously book, which we'll get into, they book for your typecast and if you're going to fit the role and stuff like that. But also, if you don't look like you're enjoying it, ugh, I would never hire someone who like looked like they hated dancing. So at a certain point, you have to keep doing the things that bring you joy. And I know how like cheesy that sounds, but it's true. Like people want to go see dancers because they're like, oh my God, they look, A, they look amazing and B, they look like they're enjoying it. And that's just how you humans relate to each other. Um, totally. Well, so touching on that, actually, I'm glad you brought that up. So um, typecasting, I want to talk about this, especially with Chloe, because um, for our listeners, how tall are you, Chloe? Six feet. She is six feet tall. Wow. Like, and I feel like you've always been six feet tall and you're like 95% leg. Um, but like, I remember circling back to Georgia competition days, like those beautiful, like Celine Dion lyrical large groups, like legs for days, technique on point, like stunning, stunning dancer. And so um, Chloe, correct me if I'm wrong, but obviously as a, a tall woman, Vegas is kind of like, sweet, okay, showgirls. This is back when Jubilee was still up and running. Um, and and mm-hmm. I know you've had so much success um, in booking the Moulin Rouge, which I definitely want to talk more about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of want to talk about that transition for you into the professional world as, as a tall woman, like what your experience was, pros and cons. So can you kind of unpack that for us? Yeah, it's super crazy because – Starting from my first professional job, I was going to go to Point Park, had everything planned out, you know, ready to rock and roll. And then it was my nationals, star power. Hello. Thank you. Dance competition. Work, Gary Pate. Let's go. Yep. Ran in between, you know, line and production to do this audition for Royal Caribbean. So I did it. Awesome. Like, great. Luckily, you know, got the job. Super excited. But with that, like, I started realizing, like, halfway through the contract of my first, you know, ship contract, you get asked like, hey, what other ships would you like to do when this ship is over? Like, what mm-hmm. what other ships interest you? What shows do you like on mm-hmm. there? And, you know, I gave them a list. And every single one I gave them, they were like, you can't do it. And I was like, oh, well, how come? And they're like, well, because you're too tall. And I was like, oh. Like, and I think that's the very first thing without really realizing it, it sparked like, oh, my height has a mm-hmm. problem. Okay, because that was just my first job ever. I didn't understand. Right that this was going to be something that I was going to deal with years to come. So after my cruise ship, I went home, saved up money, moved to Vegas because right. They're like tall girls, show girls. Jubilee was still open. Like mm-hmm. Taylor mentioned, you know, I was like, Oh, easy. I could come out here and kind of have things fall in my lap when I was a young cocky dancer, <laughs> honestly, 18, you know, everything yeah, 21, like, you know, nothing. <laughs> so I was like, this is going to be easy. Right. And it wasn't because, um, Almost every single show, like my first two years I auditioned for, I would do really well. I would make it towards the end. And some directors would tell me feedback and some wouldn't. But a lot of it was, you're too tall. That's simply it. And I'm sure there probably is more, but that's like the easiest, quickest thing to tell you. But 
yeah, I mean, coming out to Vegas, you think that you're going to get a lot and as a tall showgirl and you do gig wise, but show wise, it's, it's really difficult. So I came mm-hmm. to Vegas that way thinking it would be super, super successful and it's fierce and challenging, you know? And so what was the turning point then? Like after being in Vegas for a while and things not going the way you thought it was like, what was the final thing that was not the final thing, but the next thing that was changed that path for you? Uh, yeah. So I was at this show it was a burlesque show and I was there for almost about two years and some change. And I'm just sitting there doing other auditions on the side and trying to book something else to even swing or do one time a mm-hmm. week or whenever they needed someone. And part of me was like, well, you know, the uh, unfortunate thing in Vegas is the showgirl lifestyle is dying slowly, which is really, really sad because Vegas is known for their showgirls, you know, back in the fifties with, mm-hmm. I mean, Frank mm-hmm. Sinatra, you name it, you know, all that stuff. I would have loved so, to have been around for like martinis and steak, uh, yeah. having yes. dinner and while, like that whole like big Joe mm-hmm. uh, type of lifestyle. I would have, have, I would have loved to have been around for that, but it was such a thing. That was what, you went to Vegas for You're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so after being in the burlesque realm, which was a whole new thing that I haven't done before, I was like, look, maybe I should try being a showgirl. Like, so why not audition for the biggest cabaret in the world? Let's try it. So I think that was a big turning point. I was like, well, maybe I'm meant to be a showgirl and not a stylistic mm-hmm. commercial background, everything else I wanted to do dancer because of my height and my height solely. Moving forward, you did audition for Ve Moulin Rouge. Um, and tell us about that. Because, I mean, okay, again, spoiler alert number two. She booked it, had an amazing, successful season there. <laughs> but um, I, I, I'm curious as well, because I, I've, I've always said working and dancing internationally is something that I really want to do. But also it kind of terrifies me to think about auditioning Terrifying. in another country. I mean, like, I know the Moulin Rouge and... And I mean, Paris is very uh, English speaking friendly, but like, how was that process like um, both as an American and just in general, like auditioning for one of the most iconic, um, what was the term you used? Uh, Cabarets? Yes. Most iconic cabarets in the world. Um, Well, to kind of go to backtrack for a second, Moulin Rouge actually came to Vegas in 2016, end of 2016 for an audition. Oh, wow. And usually they just like the most they'll go to is Canada. They'll do like Canada, Norway, Europe, maybe Spain or something weird, but it's always usually those couple of places. And they came to Vegas. I did the audition. A lot of girls from Jubilee actually did it too. Cause it was that following fall, right. When they unfortunately closed and Uh, I remember doing it at the very end, Janet, who is the artistic director, she sat there and she goes, this was just for promo. We don't trust Americans. Ooh. Fierce, right? And we're like, okay, cool. (laughs) We just did a seven hour audition and you're telling us this at the end. Like, that's great. (laughs) Super cool, right? To have it. It was at the Rock Center. Like, really cool to like dip your toe in it, right? Totally. Your toe, which is now numb because you've been in Leducas <laughs> for seven hours, but that's fine. Like genuinely, guys, it was it was a hard audition. It was one day. I they don't do it. two, three days like Cirque does. Like it's a one day. You get it or you don't. You'll get a call or you don't. Mm-hmm. Um, so I dipped my toe in that, and then a year and a half went by, and I'm still at this you know burlesque show that I'm doing in Vegas, and I'm like, screw it, let's go to Paris. And let's audition there. I've like, I've been to France on a cruise ship. Like I haven't traveled by myself. I was 21 and I was like, let's just take a week, go to a couple of open calls that are there and let's go for it. And I did. And I, you know, the audition guys, 
started at 8 a.m., men and women together, everything was together. You do a ballet combination back to forward and heels. Like you do not take them off. The whole thing is in heels. She does not want you to take them off. So, you know, watching the show on YouTube and like hearing about the show, you're like, oh yeah, I cocky again. You got this in the bag. It's easy. It's Mm -hmm. fine. That audition, I have not never wanted to cry as much as I wanted to. The thought of Petit Allegro and anything other than a flat ballet shoe, like even when, you know, ladies do it on point, I'm like, ouch. But the thought of being in like a three-inch Leduca doing potashas and jetés, my, my spine hurts already. It was a lot, but it was super rewarding. You were like, oh, okay, I need to get it together. This is not going to be easy. Mm-hmm. So she, I mean, men and women, you do ballet and then you would do kicks and then you would do jump splits and then cartwheels and then you would have a five minute break and then start doing hip hop and heels. Like it was, a, it was crazy. Oh my God. It, it really was. And the, I think the most crazy part, I've never experienced this. She, you didn't have a number. You dropped your resume off in the beginning and she just, you would go in like groups of five in a line, you know, going uh, back to front and she would just tap you on the shoulder and point. And you would just kind of like, go in that direction and so at the end of each combo you're like looking around and there's probably 15 different groups of people and everyone's like what does this mean i'm i there's genuinely just piles of people and no one knows what it meant and she'd be like okay you groups go bye thank you you groups stay except for this one do it again and then maybe you'll stay but she only did it on your performance and if you were rememberable literally it sounds like the hunger games 2021 for real yes I kind of love that though, only for the aspect of you're not looking at someone's name, so you're not coming with these preconceived notions mm-hmm. and you're going based strictly off of what you're seeing. So I do kind of love that as stressful as if I put myself in your situation, I would yeah. hate it, hate it. I'd be dripping sweat and confused why I'm not getting tapped or I am getting tapped and what oh, exactly weird list you have. But from their perspective, that is super interesting. It was really crazy. Cause then like, if you didn't know where she was pointing, you're like, crap, I'm going to go in the wrong pile. <laughs> yeah. What does that mean? Like, it's not only to think, remember this like two minute long combo. You have to also know what corner to go to. Yeah. Like, it's like the worst game of four corners off. ever. <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely tragic. So, but yeah, it was a wild, wild. It was an 8 AM to 3 PM audition. And then you get a letter or you don't. In the mail. So yeah. oh, they send you oh, a letter, call you. letter in the mail. Oh, yeah. This is straight up like Hogwarts style. It's not it's like delivered a, by an owl. <laughs> an owl comes to your door and is like, There's actually, it, it's actually a French hen in a tiny top hat that uh, they, that comes to your door. I'm done. <laughs> you took I, it there. That was yeah. so good. Yeah. I, I have to tell you, I, I have so many, so many thoughts about this. First of all, I know obviously Baz Luhrmann, Moulin Rouge movie is not the same as this, but that that's my um level of like that's my favorite movie forrest gump and moulin rouge like i put them just side by side very very different very different they're so similar i love (laughs) the contrast but um i i just love that movie so much it has so much passion and it's incredible and i feel like in the dance competition circuit obviously whenever a new dance or performance movie comes out those songs trickle down into the circuit and all of that Mm -hmm. so that's amazing i am seriously the biggest fan but i love that you went there i went i love that you went to paris to audition so you must have had something that told you you know what this is worth taking this trip and especially because you had already been there before with cruise stuff it's like why not and i love that mentality it's like why not honestly 
whatever happens, you get a trip to Paris and that's worth, that's worth everything. So I love that you took that step to do that. That's incredible. There's, it's so interesting with your height and feeling those restrictions when you go to auditions, it's really interesting finding that it has to be hard to find that balance of, do I spend my time and my money auditioning, auditioning for something that like I may not be good for because of something I can't change or do I go for it? But for something like Moulin Rouge, like you're perfect for it. So you just yeah. never know until you try. No, it's crazy. And she were, so my audition heels before I bought my own pair of Leducas were like these sparkly hot pink heels that we had worn in a competition dance once. And yes. she, at the very end of the thing, she goes, I still don't know your name, but I call you hot pink sparkly shoes. And I remember you from Vegas. Oh and I God. asked her, I go, Janet, can I ask you why that one audition in Vegas, you didn't hire anyone? She goes, Americans need to come to me because they have the best life and they're never going to leave it to come to Europe. Ooh, mic drop. When you started, when you started saying that they were doing the auditions in other places, the first sentence that popped into my head is they don't need to come to America. Mm -hmm. If people want the job badly enough, they can come to, come to them. Exactly. That's 100% the thought that came across. They're also, they're just... Everybody knows them. That it's bigger than anything you can imagine. It's su such a famous and coveted thing that they completely have that mindset. They do not need to be spending the money to be doing all of these things when oh, it's no. something so beautiful. And then that's how they get to find Americans yeah. <laughs> in, from their perspective that they trust. It's absolutely wild when she so, told me that. So now I want to ask, what, like, how many Americans were in the cast? Out of 56 people, when I joined, there was five, me being the fifth. And so, like, wow. did you guys have, like, like a pact? Like, you it guys, was, what's was, up, Team USA? Yeah, everyone was like, this is the most there's ever been. It was, like, <laughs> so creepy. Because, uh, uh, believe it or not, the um, most people there, it's uh, Australians. Mm -hmm. Because Janet, the, the director, she goes to Australia because they don't really have that much mm -hmm. show-wise. And they're all, I don't know what water they drink there. They're all they're, beautiful. But they're also like six foot three. I was considered average height, by the way. <laughs> There's this 18-year-old from Australia, Sydney, Australia. And she, her name's Greta. And she's like this stunning human. I'm like, okay, six four. And then you put a heel on. You're like, Oh my god! Oh my. This is like I don't know what she water has a different like atmospheric mm -hmm. like a barometric pressure at her ponytail than you do. <laughs> it's like is the weather fine up there? I get why they yeah. asked us now. Literally, <laughs> um, yeah. Do they have different like I know there's some shows uh, in Vegas that depending on your height they'll kind of give you either a shorter or a taller heel. Is that a thing they do there? Yes, I got it. So speaking of heels, it's funny. I wanted to bring this up. First day of rehearsals, they own the shoe company that we wear, Clarvois. And they make the shoe to your foot. That must be amazing. amazing. Like they walked in and they measured your foot and they're like, okay, we'll have your shoe in three weeks. I'm like, what? And they're like, you get your own personal shoe. You have high arches. We'll put some padding in there. Is it like the best shoe you've ever worn? I stole two pairs. I'm not <laughs> supposed to, but I took two. So yes, how long do they last? If you're listening from Moulin Rouge, Inside Dance with, with Taylor and Alex is not held accountable. <laughs> and, but yeah, also, so it's crazy. Yeah. I... I, this is such a side note for if Capizio wants to sponsor us. Yes. Um, wait, this totally goes, what I'm about to say goes in opposite of probably what Capizio would. Uh, <laughs> so this is going to push Capizio away from sponsoring us. Uh, On that yes. note, we're listening and open to any sponsorship ideas out there. They're, but go ahead, Alex. But handmade custom shoes are, especially for a job like that, it's just an extremely special thing. There's a, uh, a, 
shoemaker here in LA and he makes all the shoes for Dancing with the Stars and uh, oh, wow. plus like that. he does everything. And so cool. I had gone to him and the shoes, obviously I could buy them there. It wasn't handmade, but even just handmade for custom made for my foot, but mm-hmm. even just feeling them again, I was like, oh my gosh, like it's wild. It really wild. is. And that's so amazing. With you asking like how long they last, the only thing that would fall off was the customized Swarovski stone that they put on there. I have never, and guys, the can-can boot, we learned, because like when you're in rehearsals, they take you on tour because Moulin Rouge is really smart. And they own like all of these other companies around them. They own the Starbucks across the street. Oh you better gosh. be at Moulin Rouge own Starbucks. <laughs> like, like, your, like your Frappuccino comes with its own like ooh la la section or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was going to say, are the names of the drinks, like, catered to? <laughs> the show? Probably. But it's just crazy. So we got to go on a tour, and we got to see the shoe, like, little shoe, like, I don't even want to, it was a shoe box that they worked in, literally. It just smelled of leather and paint and the weirdest thing. But we learned that our can-can shoes, because we're doing 12 shows a, 12 shows a week. We're doing six oh days God. a night. Oof. Or six days a night. Six days a week. We got it. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> no, we totally understood that. that <laughs> I totally caught myself. Thank God. But um, there's like, f- they put five thin sheets of metal in there for you to land on your heel. So they, I have never had one shoe broken and I am the queen oh. of breaking shoes. I was I'm so heavy footed. <laughs> Is that in your Instagram bio? Chloe, heavy footed Shaw. Honestly, never <laughs> broken her shoe. Don't hear me, I'll break your Only shoes. Break shoes. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds. <laughs> she's known as a shoe breaker. Um, well, that sounds like wonders for wardrobe, but terrible for like your hips and your back. I don't know. I sound like such a grandpa yes. this episode because I'm like, ow, how do you do it, kids? Oh, I don't know. How to <laughs> but I didn't do it. <laughs> it was hard. How long is the season? Um, well, t- so summertime, they do two shows a night winter they do one uh-huh. so between april which lucky me i joined until october 31st which is when i left <laughs> <laughs> it's two shows a night because uh-huh. they it's just oh it's God. the busier season so then literally the last day was halloween november 1st they start one shows <laughs> it's still they do seven nights a week like you just have like your one day off but they go every oh, day calendar so they rotate. oh yeah it's the entire year but you do uh two show you do 12 shows a week um, April through October, and then one show a seven shows. A week. It's so hard to say. <laughs> Words are hard. Seven shows a week uh, from November till, I guess, end of March. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. What are what is it with these shows ending? I guess it's just only my experience with love, but contracts ending on October thirty first. I don't is that know. Is with you guys? I found my way around it, but it is. <laughs> I don't know, like, but, like maybe they're like, oh, well, if this is the end of their performing career with us, at least they can still go put on a costume somewhere else one last time. Like, that <laughs> is last literally what I think. Like, yeah. I'm always so, so confused by that. Um, yeah, I should okay, another, ra- another random question. Uh, so you said lots of Australians. Were all the rehearsals and rehearsal direction in English, or did you end up picking up a ton of French just by living in the city and stuff like that? Um, well, <laughs> I tried to be that girl who went on Duolingo before, <laughs> like three weeks. I was like, okay, let's yeah. learn your basics. And then I was like, oh my gosh, the French are going to be so mean to me because, you know, you just hear that they're snooty or whatever. Mm-hmm. If you go to any yeah. restaurant, this is for anyone who just wants to visit Paris. If you say bonjour, they're like, okay, what would you like to eat? <laughs> as long as you try, they don't care. 
But if you're just like, hey, give me a cappuccino, thanks. Or like, oh, gosh, we're going to make this person's life miserable. Yeah, yeah. But if you go and sit down, you're like, oh, bonjour, like, cappuccino, merci, bye. Like, oh, yeah, so what? Perfect English. All of rehearsals are in English because they're all, like, all of our uppers were from England. Uh Full-on British. And you're Mm -hmm. like, great. Um, The only problem I had was honestly, if I wanted to go take a dance class in Paris, you were learning in French. That was it. Mm -hmm. Everything else was super, super easy to like get accustomed to. That's amazing. Uh, Like, yeah, the French dance classes would be, it's only uh, a little bit easier to understand if it's a ballet class. Cause then you could go through the whole class and it's fine. All ballet French, but still really hard. But like a jazz class would be, would be difficult. I've taken a couple French, French dance classes before and cool. um and it was just when I was in Italy but the teacher was French and so they were I could understand the warm-up perfectly it was just when we got to learning phrases I was like yeah you, you really open your eyes to watch and learn because you're like my vision exactly. my vision is my best sense right now honestly yeah that's I think but honestly I was expecting it to be really really difficult and it still had challenging days and challenging moments don't get me wrong mm-hmm. but 80% of the 100%, I was like, okay, this is doable. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, on that note, okay. Uh, best and worst parts about living in Paris, your thoughts. Ooh, well, it is Wait, true. did you live like in Paris? Like I lived right around the corner in like Pigalle. Like, um, you were like, you lived on top of the Arc de Triomphe. Actually like really cool thing. Moulin Rouge puts you up in apartments for like your first couple of months. Cause they also own an apartment complex. Of course they do. <laughs> Back to all of that. So I just lucked out since my contract was seven months. They're like, just stay. Yeah. And then if you get, you know, if you want to stay longer, you can go find get out. <laughs> yeah, because it was also significantly cheaper. But uh, probably the worst part of Paris. It's true that like you have to be on guard. Like men, don't put your wallet. Like I got mugged. I didn't get mugged. I, my apartment got broken in. I was about People to say, who would mug you? I feel like if, if anyone uh, in Paris, the Moulin Rouge girls, I'm like, hey, I'm going to go mug this six foot six beautiful showgirl in stilettos dark. with a heavy purse. That's a good idea. Not to get dark. It wasn't like Nomi Malone. You know, like, on the <laughs> but, um, not to get dark, but like two of my friends were followed from work because like Pigot, mm-hmm. like Moulin Rouge is in a dirty, like the old red light district. Uh, yeah. It yeah. is. Filth mm-hmm. and cheap for Paris, but you're still like yeah. because of where it is and its name now, like everything's higher in pricing. But mm-hmm. uh, I in rehearsals, the first week in Paris, my apartment got broken into. Oh no! All of my electronics were gone. Food lender was just fantastic, and they gave you all the money back. I was like, wow. so sorry. Do they also own a, a renting insurance company? <laughs> dead gotta go dead um but no like i think the worst thing is like you really like it's scarier than north las vegas you have to watch out because you (laughs) you always need to be with people and like the amount of cat calling guys look i was with some like actual proper models from england who like have done like victoria's secret and stuff and like i understand if they get cat called (laughs) Me wearing like this weird American like sweatpants with like a basketball logo from my high school like looking like elbow because everyone dresses to the nines there. Still getting catcalled. Like still had like makeup like falling down my face. Like it was really un- un- uncomfortable. Like they don't, they're very open humans. So I think just like a, a big con is just 
you have to be with people, which yeah. I don't like the like being by myself, but totally. it's scary. Paris is terrifying, but also so amazing. And like going to the pro with that, I learned that Americans work and then live and Europeans live and then work on the side. I know. Like I would catch crazy. myself walking to like grocery store was 30 minutes away. So I make it a day once a week. You get your coffee, you walk, you listen to music. It's fun. I was like catching myself pace, like walking to somewhere that I had no timestamp on. It was just like, right. girl, calm down. And then you see people in business suits just having a smoke and drinking wine at 12 on a Monday. And they're like, yeah, we're just here on lunch. Americans don't do that. Yeah. You know, like we need to look at the life expectancy rate of Parisians versus Americans, because I feel like that has a lot to do with, do with it as taking a little bit more time to do things, breathing through things, enjoying life instead of work, 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 play mm -hmm. kind of on the weekends, but not really because you're thinking about work the next week. I'm like exactly. the full American. I'm like the full force American. I luckily have music and dance to kind of like take me out of that. But I'm like, I wake up and I'm like, okay, what, what can I do to fill up my entire day? Exactly. <laughs> like, and like, honestly, that's something that I had to remind myself during the pandemic in the beginning, because I'm one who wants, like, I would have gigs, like luckily humble, yay, happy, but I would have gigs that started at 9am ended at 3am. And I'm like, cool, mm -hmm. this is awesome. Keep going. And then when pandemic happened, you have nothing to do, especially right, like, right when it happened. So I'd sit there and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going crazy because I don't have my entire planner full of just things I need to go to and drive and barely eat and maybe have a coffee. Right. And then I was like, wait, this is okay. Maybe you need to like reset yourself and calm down. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's a kind of the perfect combination of American culture, like we're saying, but then also, I know we've talked about this before, um, the performer mindset. Like, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Enneagram, but it like categorizes people into um, basically different archetypes. And I know I fall uh, under a category called the performer, ironic, right? But it's basically, we find our worth and our value based off our productivity from the day. And are you so a three? Oh, absolutely number three. Like I'm a, I'm a three and then a one as well. Okay, word. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's, trying to unprogram myself from that. And yeah, it's like, it took literally a global pandemic and what a year and some change for me to be like, mm -hmm. Oh, it's okay. Like, I don't have to wake up and be like, what errands do I need to do today? Who do I need to email? It's like, just live your life and enjoy. And so it's crazy that it takes either, you know, a pandemic or moving across uh, uprooting your entire life. And, and I feel like that's such an American mindset thing too. It's like uh, health insurance. You know, you talk to people from other countries and they're like, you pay to go to the hospital. And it's like, yeah, what do you do? And they're like, it's free, <laughs> you know? So mm -hmm. anyways, we're getting off topic here, but, um, it's crazy though. circling back, um, Alex, why don't you, why don't you hit us with one final question? What you got? It's so incredible that you've had this life experience, you know, not many people get to say that. So you are truly, truly so lucky. Uh, and I'm sure after you had that experience, kind of your inspirations uh, in performing and dance kind of changed, but what are your most inspiring things now that you've been back living in the States, what still inspires you to keep moving forward, even after having like this amazing, you know, once in a lifetime experience? I think if anything, going to do a showgirl show, and this is nothing against other beautiful tall women who like to be categorized as a showgirl, I really truly realize I am not one. Mm, okay. Like the show is incredible. 
it taught me how to perform standing on a stair step in a bevel with a backpack on and a headdress for two minutes and you can only move a shoulder and a head. Mm -hmm. I've never been a good performer smiling wise and like connecting with an audience. So that taught me a lot, but it also wasn't my passion because I felt like I wasn't improving in ways that I wanted to, if that makes sense. Right. Like Absolutely. I was just sitting there whacking my face and getting all technical and stylistic and whatnot. So that was really hard for me. And that's the reason why I left was just because I knew I wouldn't give my all 12 shows a week to stand on a step and just look like a beautiful mannequin. Right. Cause that's what a show right. is. So when I came back to Vegas, I lucked out and got this show called zombie burlesque. And Oh my gosh, I like took what I learned performing by standing on a step, put it into being this zombie burlesque 1950s dancer and just like ran with it. Mm. And I feel like I have never been more myself on a stage. I have mm -hmm. never been more out, like just my outgoing, crazy, psychotic self. Um, and I really am looking forward to just do random auditions and bring that performing aspect with it. And then Zombie Burlesque is, was always one of my favorite shows. I've seen it probably four or five times. It makes me so happy. And also it's a blessing because your cast is so small. Mm -hmm. And I know you guys have backups and everybody rotates so that everybody has a day off because it does correct me if i'm wrong seven days a week right yeah you have to have that schedule so everybody mm -hmm. is able to have a weekend but you guys really get to go for it with your characters it's such and, a fun show uh, that's We're always not sponsored my... by zombie burlesque yet but if you guys are in las vegas uh post pandemic <laughs> go check out zombie burlesque at planet hollywood yeah, resort and casino thank you <laughs> it's so much fun to have those jobs where yes you have the ensemble aspect where you have to be on your game and dance with the group and then it's really fun to have those parts of it that you get to be yourself and because you get so many shows a night or shows a week you can really play with that and see what works and what doesn't and it's not the end of the world it's so much fun well i mean ironically in the show it is the end of the world but yes when we come back i think it's going to be a very popular show not just because i'm in it but because of the theme <laughs> Um, but no, it's great because every night is something different. I never did one yeah. show the same because it depended on the audience. And it's so like personal with people. You bring them up on stage, you have to go on the audience and eat their brains. Like it's just <laughs> the weirdest. It was incredible. But I honestly think if I didn't have Mulan Rouge, like teach me like, Hey, be collected, but you still have to perform for 1100 people every show. Now you have a show, like a theater of maybe 200 people, but you can like get into their like actual seats and stuff. Like, mm -hmm. I think I needed that push because I was always like a eyes down, like soft smiled answer, which is really <laughs> weird to think, but I just Also in the Instagram bio. She <laughs> raised her eyes down, soft smile, Vishal. I can't. I love that. Well, so good. Yeah. speaking of social media, just segueing right next into what? Segueing right into our next uh, talking point. Um, if our listeners want to follow you, and I hope they do, because if they haven't figured out how much of a hilarious, shining light of a human that you are from this episode, um, then they're crazy. But if they want to follow you and catch up with you, how do they do that? Oh my gosh, at Chloe. It's C H L O E. People call me Chole. C H O L E, which Sup, is Joel. literally Chole Vershaw. I get the most of Chole Vershaw. And like, that's great. But it's at uh, Instagram is at Chloe, C H L O E, Vashaw, V as in Victor, A S H A W. 
If you want to type in Troll Vershaw, go for it. I don't <laughs> know what's going to pop up. To but each their own. That's the, pretty much it. I, I love that you said V for Victor because I am always on a lot of phone calls with like, I don't know, cable companies, gas bill companies, all that. And when you have to spell your last name, uh, mine is Y-O-N-K-O-V-I. And I have to say V as in Victor because they hear B. Or C and then or I D see. or E or, and that, <laughs> or T. Yeah, and I'm like, yes. And it's so, I always say, and V as in Victor. But that's the only letter I like say. Isn't that great though that we all say V as in Victor? Like why not like V as in... Vanessa. Vanessa, yeah. But like, good for Victor. <laughs> but I also can't think of another V name other than Victor. So now I think I just like realized. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Well, we'll definitely we'll have um, Chloe's social in our description below, along with our community spotlight information. But seriously, Chloe, this has been so so much fun. Um, first of all, just because you're a hilarious human, and second of all, because I'm literally next to you and I can like mm. touch your arm. Um, Pet me. And I mean, they can't see that, but no, you you are such a star and such a light and i know i'm we are all so excited to get back to stage and um i'm grateful for your advice your knowledge and um sharing your experience so thank you for your time today appreciate yes, it thank you guys i'm really happy to be here it was really really cool you're the best this is so much fun <laughs> awesome well thanks again and we'll catch you soon guys take care